listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. All right. Oh, no, we got another one missing. What is going on here? Do you <laughs> knock those down on accident, or how does that happen? No, those are like random shoes fill-ins. Just fall Most of these shoes I still use. Uh, half these shoes I still use. So I did a treadmill workout two days ago, and so I had two pairs of shoes downstairs in the basement. Uh-huh. One's on the shoe dryer. The other one's just sitting there all lonely, wishing it were a part of this conversation. Eric, what are you doing over there? What are you futzing with? I'm just making sure my... I, I think I'll, uh, I'll have enough battery. I just, just in case if my charger would, would reach, but I have another Well, you might as well... One. Oh, you might as well do it now if, you, if you're... That's true. Like, yeah, questioning it. Um, just in case. I was fully set on racing in my dragonflies next week, and now I'm not sure. <laughs> because when I, I broke down... Well, I broke down on Tuesday. I mean, I still ran a good workout, but... When it went to shit, like they didn't didn't help me at all, right? When like it goes, the, it goes. What's gonna? When it goes, it goes in those shoes, and I felt super inefficient once it went. And so now I'm like, do I just play the safe bet? I don't know. It's my last workout in them. Yeah. What would you do? Yeah, I, I guess it depends how you think this the last uh, twelve hundred of the race is going to go. I don't know. Should I, have you guys? Uh, we don't need to talk about me. I, I was just filling space while Eric was putzing. Do you guys know each other, Eric and Bracken? No, like we've we never do. met. I mean, no of each other, but yeah, yeah, never actually like spoken to each other or anything like that. I've never commented. In person. I think we've we maybe DM'd through the running public chat. It's hard to maybe. say. Yeah, I don't. I never know who I get if I message there. So yeah, could be anyone. Everyone's got the login these days. How many could it be? One of four people, five people, if you message five. the running public. One of five. And it was a while. I mean. I think the last time I've submitted a question to the like to your you guys' DMs was like probably over a year ago because normally I just I'll just text you Kirk or I'll email you right but so it was mm-hmm. it was a while back. Yeah, back then it could have been anyone. Wasn't it? Isn't it now, just you two and the and now wives the two wives that have been on it or who yeah, else do you plus guys have on Ian it? Floyd has been posting for us. Oh, gotcha. That's right. So just one of five for this little podunk podcast. Listen, we're we're really into social media over here, so this is right up Bracken's alley, the conversation we're going to have today. Bracken said he couldn't sleep last night. He was so excited about this conversation. He said he is he's done more research for this one than any other podcast guest. He's just glowing. Don't you see it, Eric? I I I I mean, just based off of <laughs> I'm a listener, right? <laughs> like so I know uh, I know how much you love social media, so I thought it was interesting when Kirk reached out to me about this, but uh, I figure, I, I don't know. I don't. I I don't know if I'm the right person for this, but I know. I know, Kirk. We've talked about it, and so uh, hopefully, I can give a little bit of insight and, and talk about what uh, why I do it or why I enjoy it, and and kind of balance it out a little bit. Well, just like with Corinna, a couple of weeks ago, just because I don't stand on the nutrition platform and try to make it my thing doesn't mean I don't find merit in it. It doesn't mean that I don't see the benefits. It doesn't mean that I even think it's probably like the single most important thing for a lot of people to do. Just in terms of the way I live my life, I haven't been able to engage. But it doesn't mean I don't find merit. Well, that's fair. And I, I will say <laughs> I, I strongly dislike a lot of the aspects of social media and 
and, and yeah, have had to. I, I try and keep myself in check in a lot of ways to not be what a lot of the stereotypes are, which I'm sure we'll dive into a lot of that. So yeah, first rabbit hole. I'm just gonna out- guest off here, Kirk. I haven't yet seen your ring on you. This is this a Kalo you're wearing right now, or some sort of silicone ring? Or yeah, is that- it's just a silicone ring for the. Day. I haven't seen that look yeah. on you yet, and so I was looking at you like, wow, I'm great. Oh, that's not me. That's Kirk. Because I'm wearing a black ring as well today, <laughs> which I usually don't wear. Do I look any different, more distinguished, uh, trapped, uh, enlightened, which anything in particular? First and third. <laughs> Get back in the kitchen, Jess. Just kidding, guys. That's my attempt at tongue-in-cheek humor. That's good. Do you have a, 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 a ring ring or are you just straight silicone the whole time? I have two rings. Two, uh, one's a wood ring and one is Ooh. a tungsten ring. Just, just we got four of them in the mail, and she couldn't decide between two, so we kept two. So I have two, two rings, and I wear those only when my fancy clothes are on. Yeah. What do you guys rock, Eric? What are you rocking? I, I mean, I rock nothing usually, but I've got it's the it's just a gold Costco <laughs> ring. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think. I legit haven't worn this out for probably a couple of years now. Um, it just doesn't, it really, it doesn't fit anymore. Like I can shake it off. Cause you lost so much weight. On. Yeah. I, I mean, Cause you've lost so much weight. <clears throat> yeah. I, I mean, I'm down since when I first got it, I'm down over 50 pounds. So like it just didn't, it, it just isn't comfortable anymore. It feels really bulky. So I've been meaning to get it resized, but just haven't gotten around to it yet. And my wife, my wife trusts me when I'm out there because I work from home and so really rarely go kind of anywhere. <laughs> but it is what it is. Well, she can trust you if she she can't throw you very far or she can reach yeah. you by not throwing something very far. Um, and that's another thing with this conversation, by the way. Like, Eric's transformed his, like, body and life. Like, forget about that whole side of your story, which isn't why I wanted to talk to you today necessarily, but you've done, like, some pretty pretty big things with yourself over the last three years like you should actually talk about that because you basically ran in high school and i told eric by the way listeners i said eric we and we've done this before where it's like we do podcasts where we get to know somebody and then we do podcasts where somebody's like a subject expert it's one of those subject experts uh conversations but you've actually done some pretty badass things with yourself like just tell us what you've been up to like the last three four years yeah i mean so basically like i ran a little bit in high school i never considered myself a runner though like i did uh cross country my freshman year and i quit halfway through the season because i hated it um and then uh my dad was friends with uh, one of the assistant coaches or or with the head coach of the cross country team we just knew him through our local church and stuff and um he i guess pulled my dad aside and was like hey uh, you know, your son likes basketball a lot. Right. Um, and basketball is kind of my main thing. He was like, yeah, he's like, did he realize that the JV coach is the assistant cross country coach, um, which I hadn't. And so, um, he kind of just kind of trapped me, uh, and, and made it sound like if I didn't keep running, then I wouldn't make the basketball team. And, and that's really what my goal was. And mm-hmm. so I stuck, I ended up sticking around, um, and I just, I grew up overseas. So it was like a small private school in Japan in Tokyo, Japan, and um so like the team was pretty small so by default i like kind of ran some varsity races but i think my fastest 5k in high school was like 1830 um and then uh i stuck with it my sophomore year just to stay in shape and um still hated it uh didn't know how to pace didn't know anything i didn't i don't even remember any of our our like structure of workouts or anything but 
I did it my sophomore year just because the coach was still involved and wanted to get in shape for basketball. Little did I know at the time, like long distance isn't the best way to get in shape for basketball. Um, but I did it. And then uh, that was the last year I ran because we ended up moving between my junior and senior year of high school. But as an adult, I, uh, I kind of, you know, I played a year of college basketball out at BYU-Hawaii. Um, I was a redshirt freshman, walked onto the team and was basically like a glorified water boy. And uh, after that, I ended up putting on a bunch of weight and kind of getting into that nine to five grind, got married, had kids. Um, and it was through really Spartan racing that I decided to kind of turn my life around. I did um, a Spartan beast as my very first Spartan race, as many people do. Um, and I got all my friends to go with me. I thought I was in great shape. I didn't really have a really good perception of like what my body was capable of at the time. And I got my butt kicked. I think it was the one here in Utah. And I think it took me like six hours or something like that. Um, finished last out of all my friends. They all finished by over an hour uh, in front of me. Um, and I ended up having some pain in my groin um, or my growing, uh, at, like for, <laughs> for Grow, uh, growing, yeah, my, gro- my growing, um, had, had some pain in my groin, um, and lower back kind of the months after that race. And, uh, come to find out that I think I, I got a hernia in the race, um, ended up having hernia surgery. And that's the, that was the first sign of like, Hey, you know, it's maybe start, it's maybe time to start taking care of your body and, and churning this around. Um, and then it's been, five, six years from there, just kind of like a fitness journey, running journey, learning to like running, then learning to love running. Um, and then, you know, eventually uh, working with you, Kirk, through the through the podcast, actually, right? I was one of the giveaway winners early on from the reviews. Um, and then uh, we've been Is working together ever since. I, do, I don't even remember that. I thought you came to me organically. Huh. No, I was actually, originally I was working, um, I don't know if you guys know the OCR trainer, uh, Megan, um, she's done some stuff for Spartan as well, but originally I was working with her and she was really, really helpful to kind of get me started. And then I ended up winning a, a free month of coaching with you. And I just resonated with your training philosophy and, and just kind of how you approach the running specifically a lot more. Um, and yeah, it's been, I, I think we've been working together for over three years at this point. So yeah, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. That's Bracken, a lot of stuff about basketball. <laughs> yeah. What do I think about what? What do you think about Eric said, um, like training, like running cross country doesn't translate that well to basketball. And I'm curious as to your thoughts. You know, it's funny. That. It doesn't matter what kind of running shape I'm in. The very first time you go up, down, up on the court in transition, it's like immediately full on nausea and gasping. It's like, I, what, what, <laughs> I'm really fit. What is going on? So up front, it feels like it does almost nothing for you. But then as soon as you get that little bit of game fitness, the the sharp stings of going really, really anaerobic and then rest, then it then it's there waiting for you. But even I've been playing basketball now for like a year straight after my hernia surgery. And the first month, I felt like I was in such terrible shape. But now I feel like I'm in great basketball shape. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's so strange. It doesn't matter what sport you're in. You come over the basketball and you gasp your first time you have to get in transition. It's very bizarre. It's like, it's that specificity of, yeah, it it is that explosiveness and that movement. It really like, I, it didn't matter what I did before the season. And and that's in high school when, you know, if you're an athlete, you're kind of always in shape in some way, just because, you know, you're always active and, but it was, yeah, like the first, I will say, 
like there were kids on the team, our cross country and our football seasons were the same season and whatnot. So I, I ran cross country instead of football. And, and I, like compared to the football players, no, anyone who ran, we came in in much mm-hmm. better shape and it translated a lot better. But no matter what, you're when you're running suicides or ladders or anything like that, like it, yeah, it took at, at least a couple of weeks to get in game shape and, and kind of get that rhythm back. Yeah, you still feel just as bad. You just don't crumble and die as quickly. Yeah, but it's weird. When, when Macaulay and I were living in Colorado, training at altitude, as fit as I've ever been, we started uh, going to Fort Carson and playing basketball at the, uh, at the Army base there. And the very first day, it felt like we hadn't worked out in a year or two. Like, what, what is this? Like, I PR'd my mile last year. I PR'd my 5K this year. I'm running Pikes Peak, and I can't get up and down the court. I've always thought that basketball players are the most athletic of all athletes out there just as far as like translatability to other sports i mean like there's like obviously i think like soccer is a a good one that translates to running and and some other just like general fitness things but to be able to be on your feet for long periods of time but also be explosive be able to jump be able to be coordinated with both your hands and your feet like maybe that's just the i say former basketball player because i really don't play much anymore but maybe that's the former basketball player and me talking but I, I always felt like I could do at least half decent at almost any sport with basketball being my primary sport. I think basketball and soccer. I mean, football, there's pre-programmed breaks. Uh, any other sport you think about, like tennis, baseball, softball, the other ones, like there's a little bit larger reprieve in between action. But in, I would say, basketball and soccer, is there, am I missing? I'm sure I'm missing some, like the ball sports. Those I have will to say. Too, right? I gained a new respect for tennis. There's a legit. lot of if you get, there's if, a lot of rest in it, but the sets go so long that the rest almost becomes bad after a while. Like you've just been on your feet for so long, and then you have to burst and stay focused. That I was I was really really blown away with how much fatigue plays into multiple set matches, especially if you're evenly matched and have good rallies and can play a real game where most of us mortals mm-hmm. go and whiff or miss hit and there's constant breaks but if in a real match oh my goodness i'm sure do you remember the last time i played tennis kirk yeah with matt kempson he barged into our podcast how could i forget i was late to our podcast because i lost track of time playing tennis with matt kempson while he was in town and we were supposed to be interviewing vj I, I checked my phone in between games and kirk has like seven missed calls He's like where are you we're doing a podcast like of all the random things, Matt Kempson was in town, asked me to play tennis, and I just dropped everything and said, yup. All right, I had to go solo for like 45 minutes. That was a long miss. Somebody's, somebody's got to man this ship around here. Keep Is that our course. only big miss? Um, you completely missed something, and I had to interview one of my athletes, Darlo O'Connor, on my own. And I don't remember why. Darlo was either, that was a travel thing though, right? Or COVID or something? Maybe. I'm saying like a, a, a calendar I scheduling miss. I don't think either of us have fully missed, but that was close. I, don't that, so. I mean, that's a miss. 45 minutes is a miss. Um, Bracken, do you want to unpack anything that Eric said there? Well, I mean, he, he gave said a he, lot to us. He grew up in Tokyo. We've had several guests uh-huh. grow up overseas, and that's fascinating to me. So, yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. What uh, was that I mean, situation? Can... What led to that? So I'm I'm half Japanese, um, and my, my dad... Uh, he was a, a young missionary in Japan as, you know, a young man. Uh, obviously, I went to BYU, Hawaii, so 
you know, grew up kind of more in the Mormon church or LDS church and whatnot. And so um, my dad had some young experience there and as, as a young professional worked overseas. And he actually met my mom here in Utah at BYU. She was here for like an English second language program, but she is born and raised in actually kind of the countryside um, in Fukushima, Japan. And so um, they just have always really liked Japan and have always wanted to be back there. Obviously, it's my mom's like home country. So uh, I was born there uh, and did some of my childhood here in Utah, lived in Oregon a little bit. But when I was about 10 years old, they moved over uh, so that he could be um, so he could help run. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Franklin Covey, but he worked for Franklin Covey as one of their executives. They were the ones who did like the daily planners. Um, really, really popular for a while there in like the 90s and whatnot. But um, so I lived from the age. They're still of- popular if you if you're me. Sorry to interrupt. I'd like to show you. Planner? I see what Look at right here. Reason. My at a glance is what I got going on right here, and Cambridge. I I have tried Cambridge Classic. I've tried twice, Eric, to switch over to digital or switch over to my phone, and I can't do it. I still use a paper planner to this day. But continue. Sorry, I'm not using Franklin Covey. No, Sorry, I don't even. I don't even know if they use or if they make the planners anymore because the other thing they did was like corporate training, like employee training and whatnot. But. But anyway, that's what took Mm. us over there. So I lived in Japan from when I was 10 years old all the way until I graduated high school, actually. Um, And then only came back stateside. I mean, we would come back stateside in in the summers to visit friends and family. Um, And we and Utah was always kind of like our home base uh, here stateside. But but yeah, I did. I did, you know, the second half elementary school, all of middle school, all of high school in, in, in Japan. And most of my schools were like small kind of private schools where expats kids would go. So in high school, hmm. my first high school I went to, my graduating class or my my class would have been, I want to say 125 kids. And then um, my second high all school. All expats, my, if you don't yeah, if you don't mind, all all expats. Mo- pretty mostly, much. mostly. There were and the setup was like if you went overseas back then, like it's changed. The expat packages aren't as good nowadays, from what I understand. But it used to be if you went overseas, then they would uh, the companies would pay to put your kids in these private schools um, that were very very expensive. And then um, and and so if there were like locals who were attending these schools, they weren't like they were allowed to, but it was generally they were paying out of pocket and very very well off. So there were some, but not a ton. Um, and then the other seg- segment that we did have were, were like the Department of Defense, like military kids. So lots and lots of military kids were uh, would go to the school, but a lot of them also went to the, the local military bases. And that's who we would play in like sports. So, you know, it, it was always fun. Like if we had an away game, we'd go on base and it was great because we could load up on, you know, Taco Bell and Popeyes and all the good things that you want to eat right before a basketball game. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Was English the primary language spoken at all of these schools? Yeah. Yeah, like the, the name huh. of my high school was lit- – the first one at least was literally the American school in Japan, like ASIJ. Mm-hmm. That's what we went by. And then um, we moved to Kobe, Japan for my, my last two years of high school, and I went to the Canadian Academy actually. Um, a bunch of Canadian missionaries back in the, in the I believe, the 80s founded that, uh, like a private high school in Kobe, Japan. So – uh, yeah, everything was in English. We had, you know, we had Japanese classes. So almost everyone who lived over there just out of necessity too, like became at least conversationally proficient. Um, and then, uh, and, and then, but you could take like French or Spanish or, you know, any of like the classic high school language classes too. 
Sweet. What yeah. other questions you got about Tokyo? That's one of my to-do lists, uh, one of my to-do vacations in the near next five years, we'll say. Hmm. We just watched Tokyo Drift, Kirk, at your <laughs> wedding in the hotel. Braden and I watched it. They had a Fast and Furious marathon going. Nice. So that's my contribution to this conversation. That's... Were you Tokyo proper <laughs> or were you in a bit more of like a, an American segregated neighborhood? Uh, we were Tokyo proper. So there were... There weren't really a lot of like American segregated neighborhoods in Tokyo, um, unless you again, unless you count like the military bases. Those mm-hmm. were obviously all like U.S. U.S. citizens and whatnot. Um, but you could only get on those if you were military or someone military let you on. So we would play. You know, you talked about going to the local base. Like we would actually play basketball on the weekends at the local like the local compound and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And just because we had friends who would let us in, but um, but no, like all of my neighbors were were Japanese and. You know, I took the I took the subway to school and, you know, was like completely immersed in Japan. It's just that our our school itself, right, was all English speaking and whatnot. And the school itself was actually like way out in the countryside so that they could have land for like a football field and, you know, a track and all that. Interesting. Would you go back and live? I think I would. My wife wouldn't. Um more so just because it's my wife is actually half Japanese, but she was like born and raised in Seattle or a suburb of Seattle. Um, and so, yeah, just, she, she would feel uncomfortable, obviously in a foreign country without the ability to speak any of the language, but, um, but we, we've thought about it and, you know, kind of looked at opportunities. I, I worked at, um, some of the local tech companies here for a while and, uh, there was potentially opportunity to go over and work in like maybe an Australia and office and then be able to, um, travel to Japan for meetings or different things too. So I considered it, but. Uh, I think with for for my wife's happiness, it, it has never been a real consideration. I don't think. Okay. So, bringing this up to speed here, uh, you you let go of your fitness, you got a little chubby, you decided to reclaim it, and then you know to his testament, I don't know. Since you started back up running, and then we worked together, like you've taken what six or so minutes off, six or seven minutes off your five k, and kind of embracing it all and, and, and trying to continue climbing the fitness ladder, right? But, I mean, your before and after pictures, like once in a while you've posted, like, Utah my first year, and you can obviously tell you're notably heavier versus, like, Utah my most recent year, right? Do I have, like, the highlight points of your progression? Like, what? I guess just to touch on it because I don't want to gloss yeah. over it, like, what were the things you did, the, the keys to you trimming up, losing weight, redeveloping consistency, all that? Then we're going to get into the topic of the day. But I just want to know if you have any – like glaringly obvious takeaways from your last like five years? I mean, I think the biggest thing was just like, as weird as it, as weird as it sounds, I didn't know that I was overweight. Um, I had been an athlete my entire life, like just really, really enjoyed sports and I stayed somewhat active and, and kind of a point that maybe you weren't super aware of. I deal with ment. I mean, I know, you know that I deal with mental health issues. So, you know, anxiety, ADHD, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what caused me to spiral initially was actually getting on anti-anxiety medication, which in one month I put on over 20 pounds um, just by getting on the anti-anxiety meds because they made me super nauseous. Uh, they messed with you know my hormones and whatnot, and then they also um, made it nearly impossible to work out. So uh, that like work work stress plus the medication and all that kind of is what caused me to spiral initially, and so because it happened so quick, I feel like I didn't even realize what happened. Um, but, but coming back, a big part of it was just consistency, 
right? And whether that was consistency of like my diet, like, you know, maybe not eating out every other meal and, and trying to eat a vegetable every now and then, um, portion control, right? Still learning to eat the foods that I enjoy, but um, not overeat them. Um, and then just getting consistent and back on a, a schedule. And for me, it was so important to have something to train for just as a former athlete, you know, always having games, always having like a season, having a team, people to count on you. It was important to like do your best and work your hardest so you can improve for the next season. And I had lost that competitiveness or that, that thing to look forward to. So the, you know, that first Spartan race, technically second, I should say, actually, because I did one with my brother and my dad a couple of years prior to that, just for fun. But, um, that first one that kind of knocked me on my feet or off on my butt, um, because that was part of it, part of the realization, I think it was kind of like redemption to be able to go back and say next year, I'm going to do better. And so I almost immediately, even like after I got out of surgery, went and I signed up for the the Spartan race the next year and said, I'm going to do better. And in fact, I'm going to one up that I'm going to go run a full trifecta. Um, and so that's kind of what it became. I started, I started running. I hated running. Um, absolutely hated it because all I ever did was run on a road and it was really boring. Um, so I started going to the local trails and I started running and I was terrible at it, but being outside, being in the woods, right. Being on the trails, I, I fell in love with it. Um, I got consistent in the gym, you know, just started trying to get a routine. It was a terrible, terrible routine, but we were doing what we could. Um, and then to maybe connect it to kind of the, the topic of the day, I, I actually, I started posting on social media and I put myself out there and I started kind of saying like, this is my goal. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and I put it out there for everyone to see. And that's kind of what started it. And no one followed me at the time and not really many people follow me on Instagram still, but that's where I was doing it. And just knowing that people were watching and knowing that like I had verbally committed to that and I had signed up for the race and put money down and, um, that really got me going and, and got my, you know, competitive juices flowing to where, you know, the 50 pounds didn't come off all at once. It's been very gradual. You know, I've, I've, I'm actually working with Corinna as well and, um, have shed a couple more pounds over the last few months, but, um, yeah, it, it just kind of happened little by little, one thing by one or one, one thing at a time. So, yeah, there's something, you know, I, years ago, I used to see people, maybe it could just be like a Facebook status update way back in the day or whatever, Instagram, when that started becoming a thing. I think I hopped on that in 2011. Uh, and I'm certainly not speaking as an expert, but um, I used to see people say they were going to do things like, I'm going to run a marathon or I'm going to do this and do that. And I always thought like how brash and egotistical this is years ago, thinking like, what a bunch of crap, right? Like, why are you, you're so full of yourself and you're, you're just claiming with ego. That's was me being ignorant and a little bit, um, I get maybe misinformed of how that can be used. Fast forward to today. And I think putting something out into the world and claiming you're going to do it, even if it's Hunter McIntyre-esque where he is brash and egotistical is super powerful because it commits you. And so, and it works that, you know, this is a game of psychology when it comes down to it. Sure. It's a physical matter, but like I'd say the mental aspect is as important as anything. And I think claiming you're going to do something and then holding yourself to it and having others maybe follow along or help, I think is very powerful. And now I see when people say, I'm going to do this, I don't like scoff at them. I say, good for them for committing. And I've done some of that myself recently saying, I want to run under 15 minutes in a 5K. 
for some reason I used to look at that negatively and now I look at it like good for you like saying you're going to do something there's nothing wrong with saying you're going to do something I admire that now so point being that's I think a powerful tool that some people uh, could probably use more often people don't do it because they're afraid of failing in front of others and well fear is a good motivator in my opinion so anyways just want to pat you on the back for that I've found help in that myself in recent years I I mean I think just to kind of add to that though, like when I, when I started putting out goals, like the first thing I said was I'm going to go do a Spartan trifecta, right? Like that was the goal. It wasn't like, I'm going to go be like, I'm going to go run like a sub 20 minute 5k. Right. And, and it like, I, and I've made that mistake, I think in the past too, of, of like setting out a big goal and um, just kind of like not actually committing to it and not realizing what it was going to take to go accomplish it. And so uh, like that was one of the big things too, I guess, just in over the course of the last five, six years for myself, being able to transform kind of who I am and what I do and, and how I feel a big part of it was looking at realistic goals and, and kind of being those being the ones that I was going to set out and biting, not biting off more than I could chew right up front. Because, you know, if you say I'm going to go do this massive thing, that's great if that's the end goal, but you have to have micro goals along the way. Otherwise it's just too daunting. So what did that look like for you starting out? You obviously started with a Spartan Beast, which for the pure running crowd is a 13 plus mile trail race with obstacles, which the Utah one is on the side of a mountain. And then you came back and said, I'm going to do a trifecta, which is a, a basically a half marathon, a 10K and a 5K. But they were all longer than that back in the day on the same weekend. So if those those are big chunk goals in yeah. between. You said you found trail running and you weren't good at it. and It wasn't great for you so what what did setting those attainable realistic goals what was that process like yeah so like part of it um like weight loss was a big part of this up front so it was just okay like this month i'm gonna lose three pounds and like a lot of people will scoff at three pounds but if you've never had to lose significant weight like you don't understand like it it takes time and it takes consistency and it can be really exhausting and i have so many friends who have tried to lose 10 pounds in a month and then they fall flat on their faces because it was like, it doesn't sound that big, but it it can be if you've never done it. Right. And so like, it really was like, I'm going to lose three pounds this month, or I'm going to try and lose like a pound a week. Um, and then for the gym, it was like, yeah, I'm going to just try and go consistently every day. I don't care for how long I'm going to go for, even if it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and, and it really did. It started to compound. It started to compound. And then, you know, I, I, at a certain point, I said, well, I need a program. So then I actually found, I believe it was Robert Killian's. He did an article with Spartan at the time. And there was like a, a templated plan that he, you know, um, posted. And I started doing some of his templated plan, right? Um, and then I hired a personal trainer. And then I hired Kirk. And then, you know, and it kind of all went from there. But yeah, I would say like the small micro goals of just becoming consistent and then being able to start to pick off some of the bigger things like, yeah, like doing multiple races in a year. And, you know, we went from a trifecta to the next year. I think I did nine races and and they were all age group. Right. And then the next year I said, I want a podium and I'm going to try and chase the national series. And, and turns out that was a premature goal. I wasn't there yet. Right. Um, this year was actually the first year I've, I've gotten on some podiums and, and just at smaller, sp- smaller venues. But right. So it's like I wouldn't say it's bad to set a big goal. But sometimes you get, you know, you have to put yourself in check and then you, you get hit and you realize like, oh, maybe that was a little aggressive too. How many of those did you put out onto social media for people to see? Um, some of the little ones I didn't put like, like, hey, I'm like losing three pounds this month. I didn't put, but I was 
constantly kind of checking in and reporting progress, even though if they didn't know what the mini goal was, they knew what maybe the larger macro goal of like doing the trifecta was. And so I was posting like updates as I went. Um, the podium, like getting on a podium, it actually was uh, Joe DeSena posted like uh, like uh, on Spartans TikTok or not TikTok, um, Instagram. He said like, hey, what's your goal for the year? Tag us and we'll say it. And I said, I'm going to get on an age group podium. And I didn't until two years after that um or something like that so it was uh you know that one i did put out there and that was a really vocal goal that i had both to motivate myself and keep myself accountable is like i'm gonna get on a podium like i'm gonna i'm gonna make that happen when i was younger i loved the idea of grinding away in the dark that i'm going to show up being the only person who knows what could happen here and i just like Mm -hmm. thrived off of that environment but as i spent more time in sport the process got old and it took 20 years for the process to get old, but it finally, it wasn't as invigorating anymore. And I started to do more of saying, and and part of it came with having a podcast. We just announced things that we wanted to do. But as anyone who's listened has heard, I got to the point where I started just saying, I'm not stating any more goals because I'm tired of not reaching them. And I'm tired of having to answer to everyone who's ever heard me say it. And I know there's a middle ground in there somewhere, but what was it like to not reach that first publicly stated goal? And what did it do for your process moving forward? So I think at the time I didn't have like a lot of followers. I didn't have a lot of people who were maybe checking in on me. So it really was like my own version of a training log in in a lot of ways. Um, and so that one, that one didn't hurt as much, especially because one thing about me is like, I know that I can, like, I don't set goals that I, I mean, I do in my head, but like, I, I set goals that are attainable at this point that I know I'm going to reach eventually if I just keep working hard. So if I fall short of a goal, like it, that one didn't hurt that bad. It was just like, okay, like we, but we made progress and I recognize like, Hey, we've gotten better. We've gotten faster. We've gotten fitter. I've just got to keep going and that will become a reality. And I've got, you know, bigger goals right now. Like I'm trying to become uh, at, or I'm trying to get to the elite level of Spartan racing, right? I'm not an elite racer yet. I'm not even, frankly, I'm not even a national series contender on the, on the age group scene just yet. Right. Um, but we're close and we're getting there and like, I'm recognizing that progress and I'm seeing myself get better. Um, and so, so long as I am improving, I think I'm okay with failing, right? So long as I'm moving forward, I'm okay with falling short. And, and that's, I think that's something that like, if you're going to put something out there, like you got to be able to handle if you if you do fail at it like you've got to be able to not make excuses and just say like hey we still got better we still worked hard um but so that one didn't really hurt the one that hurt though was actually last year i did um i did an everesting attempt Mm -hmm. and i i i almost like borderline live streamed it um so on tiktok i was doing uh updates i did it uh we have a mountain here wine mountain over by byu it's there's literally a big Y painted on the side of the mountain and it's about a mile and it's like 1.1 miles up and about a thousand like 50 feet right um no gondola no nothing so if i was going to do this i was going to have to do this all on feet all on foot and um i had been training for uh spartan ultra worlds and it got canceled because there was fires all in tahoe right um and so this was actually kirk's idea he he text uh, we were texting back and forth and i was like what do i do like i have this fitness like i'm supposed to go do a 24-hour race like what am i gonna do with this and he he just kind of was like well do you want to everest <laughs> and it was i think it was only God, like i love that week. reply 
Yeah. <laughs> it was only like two weeks out from the attempt. Whoops. And I was like, sure. Like, yeah, let's do it. Like, what, you know, I'd, I, and I, like, I had sprained my ankle like a month and a half prior to. So, like, I hadn't been doing a whole lot on, on the trails. But I was like, why not? Like, let's just do it. I have the fitness. And I announced it on TikTok. I told people I was going to do it because I had been talking about Ultra Worlds and how I was going to really work hard and was aiming for a podium at that event. And um, so I, I pivoted and I, I, I posted every single lap that I did. I would post an update like, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on. This is where I'm at. This is what what vert, vert we're at. Um, and I got just over 12 hours in. Um, I think we had hit like, I want to say like 17,000 or 18,000 feet of vertical gain. And it was like 37 miles or something like that. Um, at that point. Um, so we'd gone up and down like 15 some or something times. And, um, and it was just really, really hot. And I started, I had, I had dealt with some heat stroke earlier in the year and, um, I just started to get nauseous and I just couldn't, I couldn't move. Like every time I tried to walk, there's no, there's, it's full sun exposure. Every time I tried to go back up the trail, I started to sway, um, someone from TikTok, And this is like one of the most amazing things also kind of sketchy, but like someone from TikTok had been watching the videos and knew that I was struggling and literally drove to the trailhead to try and motivate me and get me up on that next lap. Um, which was amazing. And so she just, she just stood by my side and just made sure I didn't like fall off the side of the trail as we tried to go. But ultimately I just decided it, it wasn't worth it. I, you know, I, I was feeling really nauseous and, and we called it at that point. And that was really, really hard because a lot of people had chimed in at that point and were following it. And I started getting messages after I shut it down saying like, did he finish? What's going on? Where's he at? Like, and, and so to, to not do that one, that one, that one hurt pretty bad. Mm. Um, and, and I still have intent to go back in Everest. In fact, Kirk and I were talking, I may, I may do a treadmill Everest at the end of the year. Um, just, just cause, um, just for fun. Um, but, uh, I want to go back to that mountain and, and kind of win that. And that was, again, I like, I was okay failing because I know I'm going to go back. I know I'm going to do it and I'm going to accomplish it. But in the moment that one hurt really bad and it was pretty embarrassing just cause people were watching, like people knew. Mm-hmm. Not to get too far down the Everesting path, but it's one of those has such a good name and such an enticing aura about it that people will jump into it. And it's so enormous the effort. Like what you accomplished dropping out with thirty seven miles and seventeen thousand feet of vert, it's hard to find a race on the planet with that stat. Like if you're gonna get seventeen thousand feet, it's gonna be a twenty four hour race, usually. Yeah. Or at least a fifty miler. To get that in thirty-seven miles is just like you're saying. You're just going up and down. Like that's it has to be the biggest day you've had in your life. But you came up significantly short, and it felt like a failure. Everstein itself is just so enormous, mm-hmm. but it has a clean, cool name. So a yeah. lot of people are like, "Oh, I'm going to Everest today." One and uh, yeah, not to not to go too far down this again, but. But there is a local, uh, they, they put a race on every year at the Y. They call it Yike Everest, so like Y-I-K-E. And uh, and groups of people will go every year at the end of October, and they will try an Everest on Y Mountain. Um, and so it's not going to work out this year just with kind of other priorities and things I've got going on. But I'm maybe next year or the year after, I think I'll just kick in with that group and go because – that's the, that's the other things. Like I had some people come out and go with me. Like I had the, the woman who showed up and, and supported me on that last failed lap, but I had some friends who showed up. Another one of Kirk's athletes, Kate, um, she came out and did a, a lap or two with me. 
um, and some of the lo- the local Spartan racers were there. But um, for a lot of the laps, I was alone, and it was just me. Mm-hmm. And sure, there were people. It's a like a popular hike, so there were people on the trail, and everyone thought I was insane. But um, but it got really lonely <laughs> and really really dark, um, at, at, even though there were people you know around. So yeah. Well, on my birthday when I did. 36 laps of my ski hill. I realized how enormous Everestine is because that was the 11 miles and seven, like 7,500 feet. Yeah. Which is a big hill workout and you are a quarter of the way done. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was just such, it put it in stark contrast how cool I thought Everestine would be versus how arduous it truly would be. And I'm not in bad shape. Like I'm not in Everestine shape, but I'm not in bad shape and I wouldn't have made it halfway on that day. I wouldn't have. And that, and, and I do think like, I mean, again, failing, failing the goal, right? Like I essentially had two weeks to prep, right. To shift my mindset from ultra worlds where sure there was going to be a hell of a lot of vert, but I also like, I had a group of guys that were all going to be out at ultra worlds. We were all, you know, like one of us was like the 25 to 29 age group. One was the 29 to, uh, or like 30 mm-hmm. to 34. One was 35 to 40, whatever. So we were all in separate, separate age groups, all similar fitness. And our plan was to stick together. Like that was the plan was we were all going to go together and the goal was just to keep moving. So we went from having this community of people that were going to approach a goal and all try and st- take a podium in our age groups. And like with, we had the fitness to do it to completely shifting the goal and saying like, Hey, this is what we're doing now. And we're doing it alone. Um, it was like, I, I know I'm capable I don't th- like, not that I could like go out and do it tomorrow. Like I I'd definitely have to ramp for it, but like, uh, but it, it, yeah, it was hard. I expected to do it and not feel as pain or not feel as nauseous and as, as much pain as I did. Yeah. That's just, I mean, that's just ignorance talking. I know. <laughs> Once you get out there, you <laughs> certainly realize like, Oh my, oh, well, how would you know? How would anybody know in their right mind? Anybody that's lived a life in their right mind should not know how that feels until they're in it, you know, um, to, to put us back on track or to get us sort of where we need to get, um, two takeaways is one big goals are absolutely worthless without small goals along the way, like big goals without a plan are a waste of time. Uh, I firmly believe that. And then, uh, two would be, uh, I think there's power in proclaiming what you intend to do for me. There is, you know, you as Bracken likes to use the word, keep your receipts as, as I, I guess you could use that that phrase, but like the accountability piece, um, you know, intrinsic motivation is definitely the key to this all. But there are days when you just don't want to or it's just not you're just not feeling it or you're having a tamp- temper tantrum or your anxiety is high and you feel stuck. And then you lean on those little things to get your shoes on and get you out the door. And maybe it's because you proclaimed on TikTok, which is that you're going to do something. And so for some reason that means something to you and you get moving. So those are the two takeaways I have. I don't know if I missed the mark there or not, but that's what I'm going to boil it down to. I also think that, uh, attempting Everest in Utah is, uh, is a mistake because I, I sent Kate out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I I sent Kate out this spring because she wanted to do something big and she took a photo at the top of the climb every time. And picture one, clear blue skies, sun coming up, 
Picture, no, I think it was still dark when she summited the first time. Picture two, beautiful, clear sunrise. Picture three, bluebird skies. Picture four, bluebird skies. Picture five, the same. Picture six, you can see a dark storm cloud way off in the distance. Picture seven, it looks like the world's going to end. And then by the time she even could have taken picture eight, you guys had like an awful storm, like not safe, like torrential awful lightning storm so she got cut short there too so i'm all for two in utah with you guys so let's we got we got to figure something out we'll, there we'll get that treadmill uh i mean it's not the same but we'll do a treadmill everest at the end of the year and at least check that box but but the yeah she did it on the same mountain and i went out and did i didn't do four laps with her i did two laps with her and two two laps on my own just because we had a it was a long vert workout that weekend and uh yeah like she was actually pacing really she was i thought she was pacing faster than she should mm. but she was doing really well and then that we had a freak thunderstorm like flash flood like probably the worst one we had all year and it just happened to be on that weekend so i'll tell you what i did there. 10 by thousand foot gain on the treadmill last Ooh. fall which again is barely over one third of an everest yeah. and the treadmill while reducing the downhill which is extremely extremely beneficial was also the key to only using one stride the entire time it was very difficult to use multiple different strides and it got really really bad because i would just wear out one spot of my lower back and one part of my glute like so so anyways my only advice to that is a do it on the treadmill first because you don't have to descend but b get a ton of practice to figure out how you can use little micro variations of your stride because i was wrecked now i was trying to do it anaerobic the whole time 10 by thousand i was trying to work work but it was still really bad and it wouldn't have been a ton better if i had gone easier so it it's easier but it exposes singular weaknesses that's fair no that is fair either way it's gonna be are you trying to spend like it's gonna suck three hours at three hours at threshold in this workout or what the heck essentially like, there? <laughs> it wasn't technically you know how it is when you're climbing uphill where you're not technically anaerobic but you are certainly not stable mm-hmm. like you're somewhere above yep. aerobic threshold and below anaerobic threshold like that that's where it was yeah because what's a thousand yeah, meter rep a good, work. A, it was more yeah it was three and a half hour but like what's a good thousand yeah. foot gain rep you're not getting done under 10 minutes, minutes for most people so yeah it's not technically anaerobic it just sucks the whole time Hmm. yes it does all right i'm gonna out you a little bit so let's pivot here i approached fracking with this idea yesterday and he wasn't super pumped about it eric and i quote i'm gonna read what he's gonna say back to me this is what he said back to me (laughs) i said hey i want to talk to my athlete uh eric about this whole like running influencer thing because I had a conversation with you that piqued my interest in our last athlete call. And Bracken's response is, well, if I had to make a list of topics I'd never want to cover, how to be an influencer would certainly be pretty high on that list. (laughs) What was the next sentence though? But I do trust you. Separate text. You you can say what my first text back was. Ugh, fine. (laughs) 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 do you have any response to that eric Uh, so i i hate social media as much as most people probably do which sounds hypocritical but it was part of my motivation for doing what i do um and and let me explain what i mean by that right like when i first started running um i i turned to instagram and and you know social media because that's what 
people do nowadays, right? When they want to figure out how to do stuff, they look at people who look how they want to look, right? That's really what it is. They, they look at people who look how they want to look and, um, or they look up like professional athlete workouts and they go and they just try and like floor themselves and they think like no pain, no gain. And we've been, you know, ingrained in our minds growing up as athletes. Like you have to just, you know, pound the pavement and do all these things. And all that did for me was, you know, get me chronically injured, burnt out, and even and feeling even worse about myself um, when I first started. Right. Um, and so when I first started posting on social media, um, it started kind of as a journal, right on the Instagram side. And then on the TikTok side, I started posting videos. Basically, I thought, hey, if I had all of these questions about running or like, you know, I was overweight when I first started running. And I wish that someone had been posting information on this. Like, how cool would it be to be able to share some of these little tips and tricks that I used or did or learned so that other people don't have to sift through all the noise and the crap out there on social media? Um, and so, like, I, I think social media is a terrible, terrible place, like, at least over half the time. Um but if you know where to look and you start to find kind of the people who are, are out there trying to legitimately help and post really, really good information and it's not all about them, right? And it's about helping people and it's about like sifting through the noise, then you can find some really, really helpful things and some really, really um, good people out there. And that's kind of where I try and stay and I try and keep myself in check and make sure that it's it's not about me and it's about, well, what can I share or what can I give to, to help someone who was in who is in a situation that was like my own now the thing in particular so to to give a backstory and i have no idea where this conversation is going to go maybe it'll dead end maybe it'll go on for hours and we'll have to cut it short i don't know but eric and i had an athlete call about a month ago and somehow we got down this conversation uh it's one of the few conversations where we didn't talk training for the majority we talked like i kept asking questions because i was curious and you don't know this. This is the main reason why I wanted you on today was, and I'm just going to say it, and you don't need to say, use numbers for reference or anything, but I asked questions I probably shouldn't have to you, and you had basically divulged to me that the amount of money you were making through Spartan partnerships, through other partnerships, was exponentially higher than any pro athlete has ever been paid by Spartan to be on their roster. Now... We don't need to talk numbers, but I realized how seriously you were taking this as a business as well. Uh, for those of you listening, Eric left his job, we'll just say, a few months ago. You have not returned to full-time work. You're on your way. Let's just let me have that one. Okay, you're not working a, co a corporate job currently. And so <laughs> what I'm getting job. at is I uh, had no – left it. Well, we're kicked got, out the door, late. whatever you want yeah. to call it. But, but anyway, yes. Whatever, details. Let's say furloughed. Um, you mutually decided and, to see other people. There you go. So the fact that there was some sort of sustainability to what you were doing on the social media piece, and then the fact that the money in a dying company on the on the pro athlete side, Spartan, who owes me $1,333 still from over a year ago, is paying you more than that per month to help them advertise on social media. And it blew my mind. And then I thought, okay, maybe I'm glossing over something here and I don't fully understand what's actually happening in the runner influencer social media world. 
And that's why I selfishly wanted to have this conversation. Not because I planned to be that, but like I just felt like it was worth a freaking conversation. Like, did you know this, Bracken? Did you have any idea that money was being thrown at advertising for a company when, let's say, athletes couldn't even be paid themselves? So obviously, that's just one aspect. You also are working with other companies. But it was mind-blowing to me. And good for you, really. But like, what do you think of that, Mr. Bracken? I'm... It only makes sense, right? Like billboards, radio, public access aren't in vogue right now, and social media is. And if it's a business tool, they're going to invest into that first. And so it does make sense, but it is also, how can you not be shocked to hear some of those things? And I do want to clarify that like my disdain for social media and the term influence, when you said interviewing an influencer, <laughs> that was my term. But it's no different than saying educator or trainer or speaker. It's just that the most famous influencers in our current culture are extremely, to use a word I can't stand, toxic. Like, who are the most mm. famous influencers of our generation? Like, the Paul brothers, Conor McGregor mm. currently. Like the Kardashians pe initially. Yeah, people, people you wouldn't want to be like unless you were a very damaged person. So, but that doesn't mean that you, like, that in its inception, being an influencer is to influence someone, and that's, there's no connotation with that. It's either you influence people towards good or bad. So, even though social media is famous for influencers being these, like, vapid, really disingenuous people, it doesn't negate the fact that you have the ability to influence people positively. And if the point is to do so with it, it's a fantastic endeavor. Well, and I think that's why, like, I've never called myself an influencer. Um, in fact, when Kirk, Kirk and I were talking yesterday about this and, and he brought up the idea, I kind of even said, I was like, so I don't, I don't see myself as an influencer. I see myself as, you know, a running coach and an athlete who uses social media as a tool, right? Uses social media to get information out there. No different than how you guys do with the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I've kind of stumbled upon a market that I think a lot of people in the content creation space haven't really thought about. Um, and it kind of happened by accident, honestly, like I take no credit for like, like Spartan didn't hire me because I'm me. Uh, at least I don't feel that way. Right. Um, the local, the local running store, which is another company that I work for and do content for they, I don't believe they hired me because I'm me, but they hired me because of the services that I provide. Um, and that's kind of where it started to happen. Right. Cause when it comes to social media, at least at least on TikTok, one of the biggest things that you can do to grow and get exposure there is just to post consistently, right? Is just to put content out consistently. Um, and so with Spartan, that's really what I do is I, I'm responsible for posting almost daily on their accounts. And, you know, I try and use that and use my influence in that to highlight people that are doing really, really good things right within the community. Today, I posted a video of three, you know, three, eight, uh, not age groupers, open racers. It was their very first race. And I did, I interviewed them at one of the venues and just asked them like, how did they train for it? You know, how'd they find it? How'd they, how'd they learn it? And they get to be featured on Spartans page, which has over half a million followers on TikTok. And I think that's really, really cool to be able to shout those people out. Right. Um, I, I specifically try and highlight people in the sport who are doing their best and are just trying to do hard things as opposed to, you know, I know a lot of the content sometimes and I'm not responsible for that is just kind of random stuff. Um, so I, I do my best with within the bounds that I have to, 
to be able to highlight the athletes, highlight the age groupers, highlight. I would have loved to highlight the pro team. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't exist anymore. But um, yeah, would have loved to highlight those individuals for the accomplishments that they have. And I have done some posts on like former pro team athletes and as well, um, and just talked about their amazing accomplishments. But it just kind of depends. Well, we're at this juncture where what Bracken would, I guess. You've consumed social media. You don't post on it as much, but um, like five you would not years ago, how much social was... media has been on my mind lately, Kirk? Zero. Like, this is a this is a very timely episode for us because with the night school program coming down the pipeline, like, we do need to get information on this out, and the mm. only logical place to start with that is social media. And so, like I'm I'm researching it currently the way I would threshold training. With the same vigor and the same, it, do I gag a couple times per day? Yes, I do. But there's also some really good stuff on there, and some people that you think mm-hmm. th- if it were filled with just this, the running space would be a much better place because they're giving out good information. It's not like I sprinted a mile every day for a month. Look what happened to me. Like there are people that are just wanting to help people run better. So this is this is forefront of mind for me right now, and it is timely. Mm. So continue. Okay, well, I'm glad you said that. Um, what was I saying? Oh, so like five years ago, just as like, let's just ballpark it. Like every single account, every person running a Spartan race or a trail race was use 20 code Kirk 20 for 20% off your Caterpie laces and try my mud gear shirt and VJ shoes are the best. And it was like everywhere. People were selling freaking running chapstick. It was like anything you could think of. It was existed. And everybody was just slutting themselves out for free product. And it was mm-hmm. embarrassing. I'm just going to say it. It was embarrassing to watch. It was hard to see a person with 14 followers smiling with their bag of protein, being like, thanks, protein powder, for fueling my workout. Like, ugh. And I'm guilty. I have a partnership with USANA. They treat me very well. So I am still contributing to that. However, it was flooded with all that for years. It was like everywhere you looked was just bullshit. And if you think now, it is a lot less of that. I don't know if you've noticed, but like everybody realized the juice ain't worth the squeeze. And everybody's mm-hmm. like, I am not slutting myself out to get free running chapstick, which nobody needs anyways. Right? It's like, what on earth is this come to? And now it's boiled itself down to people in general who are getting the juice from their squeeze. And so there's very... There's much less of this happening, in my opinion. At least every account I follow doesn't do this anymore. It's just a select few. And I don't want this to be a tutorial on to how because it's not an interest of mine. But how? How does somebody – like you have professional elite-level athletes. Let's just say it. Who would run circles around you, Eric? Oh, yeah. Who yeah. you're never going to be as fast as, right? I think of Miss Space Cadet who runs 40-minute miles and couldn't care less. She sits in cornfields in the middle of her runs and says, like, screw it. You guys are the ones actually changing or influencing the running community. Uh, Guys like professional athletes are touching way less people. And so, one, why is that, right? Why you shouldn't we want the fastest person in the room to be the one our guiding light, but it's not working out that way? And then, two, how does somebody even get noticed? How does somebody end up... Not making a full living, but making a partial living now, like doing this. It's something like I need to wrap my head around. And I don't know who better to ask than you. So that was the basis of all of the, the asking you on is like, how, Eric? Why Why and how? So, so a lot of days I ask myself that same question, like why? Like why are brands 
paying me or why are people working with me? And, and, and I'll just disclose, like, I'll tell you everyone I work with. Um, I work with Endurly. I work with my local running store. I work with Spartan. Um, those are my three that I consistently work with. Um, I've done collaborations with Merrill, uh, multiple collaborations with Merrill. I've done collaborations with Honey Stinger. Um, and I'm trying to remember. Uh, and that those are kind of the main ones. Um, and part of it, I, I think part of it is like, yeah, we like, I, I realized pretty early on in, in kind of the social media thing that like, or not like I did the whole ambassador program thing for a lot of companies. I was a VJ ambassador. Um, I did honey stingers ambassador program. I did a couple of these things, uh, road ID, uh, head sweats, all these. Right. So I did all these. Ambassador you were the guy programs. I was talking about. I yeah, didn't really, no, I was. in the sense, like you were just slaying out content for people and slutting yourself out for nothing. Like yes, everybody absolutely. else used to do. And I can't think of another term to use other than that. And I'm sure somebody will be offended, but that's how I look. You at know it. what? Just saying you were in that camp and now you aren't. Yes. You're going to have to add that up, Bracken? Well, at, no, as someone who was on Bachelor in Paradise, I feel like you have earned the right to use that term without <laughs> anyone taking like, You get it. You are the pot and the kettle. It's cool. <laughs> You're not wrong. It's funny. I have my – this is – talk about narcissistic – I have my name on Google alerts, so if my name pops up anywhere in like news articles or anything, I oh, I get so an email good. saying, "Hey, your name was right." Well, somebody suggested I do this because I just want to see, and it's been crickets for years. Like once a year, it'll be like the worst hometown date ever, and it'll my name will pop up, and I'm like, "Okay, great, I'm in the top five worst hometown date ever." But after getting married, people just really went on to it. So they had to walk me through breaking Carly's heart and stepping on her soul. And now that I found love to Jess, am I going to do the same thing to her? It's just been amazing. I highly suggest Google Alerts for any of you out there that may benefit from this. But pot, meat, kettle, continue. So, well, well um, yeah, going from there, I guess. So, yeah, no, I, I – yeah, 100%. Like everyone – slutted themselves out they did right um for ambassador programs at the at the thought that maybe they'd make some money or get some fame or grow or something or at the very least just get free product right um you know running shoes are expensive and so if you can get 50 percent discounts on them like i i felt like it was worth it but there came a point where um i just i felt like i was being disingenuine like i thought i felt like i was just you know, slinging product. And I never worked with a company that I didn't use or didn't believe in. Um, and I still don't like, I still 100% like stand by the companies that I work with, but like, but, but it like, it just felt too much. Yeah. When every post is an advertisement, like then like, it's just, it's just not, no one wants to see that. Right. Um, so I start, I, so one of the big things was I started turning those down. Like I started saying, no, I started shutting it down. And I started saying like, Hey, if I'm going to start to take this seriously, like I'm going to pick who I work with, I'm going to dictate that. And, and if I am going to like post something or do something, like I'm going to get paid to do it. Um, but I'm going to make sure that I provide damn good value. Right. And that's kind of the, what happened with, um, with Endurly, with Spartan and with Utah run. Right. Um, so first with Endurly, I'm, I'm an ambassador. Like I get, I don't really get paid. They give me a commission if anyone uses my code, but even then, like I just, I use their products all the time. So it just made sense for me to work with them because I use the products. Um, they did pay for one of my Spartan races earlier in the year, but I went and I worked their booth for two days. I worked their booth. Right. And I passed out samples and I made sure I said, no, if I'm going to work with them, I'm going to work for them. 
Um, and I, you know, so, you know, I educated people on their products while I was there. I did run a race, but I also, you know, had a good time. And that's where I met uh, DJ and Joshua Reed and, and Anthony Kunkel. And, you know, it was, it was really, really cool. Um, and, uh, but with like Spartan too, like, I'm not sponsored by Spartan. I'm not sponsored by my local running store. I am an independent contractor who creates content for them. And that is where I've kind of started to take my, my business, right? Like my, my content business going forward is I see myself more as a social media marketer more than anything. Right. Um, I am like my, my personal account has a decent following. I'm at about 77,000 followers on TikTok, which in TikTok, like that's not crazy. Um, and Instagram that would have with Instagram, that would have been crazy, but well on TikTok, that's like the equivalent to maybe like, I don't know, maybe 15 to 20,000 followers on Instagram. Um, but for some, some reason that I'll never understand, people seem to resonate with like the personal content that I put out and, and how I speak about certain running topics. But I, I never post, I hardly ever post, I should say sponsored content on my own personal page. And I never post Utah run or Spartan content on my personal page. And I think for me, separating that, if like someone actually wants to take this seriously and create, create a business out of it, separating that and asking yourself, well, what value can I provide to these companies or what value can I provide to people? That's the real question you have to ask. Um, you know, with Utah Run, like we've grown their page quite a bit, but they've also gotten sales. They're a singular retail store in Utah and they've gotten sales from, you know, different states around the country with limited online selection because their reach has grown so much. Right. So that's kind of where I see it um, personally. And that's how I kind of have tackled I, it. But yeah. Yeah. Can I interrupt you real quick? Am I maybe misunderstanding then? Is this more like the term influence or whatever, but really is it like the way it has morphed, like content creator would be the right descriptor and doing that. Like you're not going to make money or really change people's lives by telling people about your protein powder on your personal page. But if you can, somebody can see value in your story and you as a human, you can use yourself as the content to be created for a company. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, to, to some extent, yes. It just, it depends, right? So for me, um, like I will do brand deals occasionally. I actually, I, I actually am in the works with um, junk brands, the headbands, right? I use their headbands a lot. And so I'm in the process of negotiating with them and, and for my own personal page, like posting stuff on there because it's a product that I already use and love. Right. But um, there is a difference between people who create content and they are like the influencer and people who create content for other brands or who even, you know, create content on their own page. But they're they're more of a like they're a content creator. It's not about them. It's about like the content that they put out. Bracken, chime in on this. Uh, Grant McChesney. No, what's his name? The Island Ninja. Uh, the Ninja Warrior guy. McCartney. Yeah. Grant McCartney. Mm-hmm. Um Talk to me about this. So, like, for example, and I'm genuinely curious, Spartan is the example, but, like, all I see is Grant McCartney at Spartan races, and it's not like he's a good Spartan racer. In fact, like, he would get waxed by Mo. I mean, in the elite field, it, we, I don't, it goes without saying, but the point being is they use him as an influence, some sort of, he's on all their crap is what I'm getting at. He's got a great personality. I'm sure they think he's probably worthwhile to look at, and he's you know, whatever. So like what, what's going on there? Like how would that setup work? And you could think of this with any running brand you're thinking of, like, how does that partnership look and why? So Grant and I, 
Grant probably like, and I, and I talked to, I reached out to Grant actually before I signed a contract with Spartan to get his experience. And he's, he was very helpful, very awesome person. I've never met him in person, but at least in conversation that we've had, Grant probably fits the more traditional influencer model. And this is not a shot at him in any way, but it's because he looks a certain way, right? He's very fit. He's very athletic. He may not be a great Spartan racer, but people have seen him on an American Ninja Warrior. I was a fan of him on American Ninja Warrior. Right. And so people are going to recognize that. And when they see a guy like Grant go and do a Spartan race, even though half the time he's just doing an open race and filming content while he does it, like they love that. And they're like, oh, that guy's so cool. I want to be like him. I'm going to go race. So there still is, there still are influencers. And I would guess, I don't know, but I would guess that him as well as a couple others um, that are pretty consistent on their page, uh, I would guess that they make significantly more than I do. Um, and they, they probably get paid per post and they're using their likeness. They're not using my likeness. No one wants to be like Eric McIntyre in a Spartan race. Now I've, I've come a long way, but I recognize where I'm at. So what they're using me as is the everyman, right? The person who understands the ins and outs of the sport, the person who has been doing it for a couple of years and has some insight and can maybe do like some green screen videos and can walk people through what certain obstacles are and what the rules are or just explain kind of what a Spartan race even is, right? And that's that's where they saw value in me, at least from my, my perception, is like they saw value in me as kind of like everybody else, but it was someone who was comfortable in front of a camera who had been making videos that could that they could then contract to do that for them. You had right. said Bracken and chime in. Yeah. What what is my role in chiming in on on Grant and the influencer here? I missed I missed what the question or the lead in was. Well, I used to see you on stuff. There's this epic, uh, you know, shot of you running and jumping into a puddle of water and then maybe climbing a rope. You used to you were on the forefront of being used by Spartan for marketing, and I know we're honing on Spartan because that's your partnership. Eric, but like, I want your perspective. I just want your perspective because all, all, all we, all of us listening, and I know this is off topic for our podcast, and that's fine. And some people tune it out, and that's fine. But like, all of us consume content on social media, whether we like it or not, and we're we're making judgments and being influenced by whatever we see in some capacity, whether we scoff at it or we gravitate towards it. And like, you were at the forefront of this, and I don't know. I just want. I just like. You as a whole, I'm just curious, like how you feel about what's going on now, and compare it to back then. That's how I, I think, want you to chime in. I think I've come. I don't think the term a full circle" applies here because that would imply that I'm back where I started. But I've come half circle on sure. this, where early on, when I say we, I'll just speak to the athletes who were considered pro obstacle racers at the time. Uh, we saw ourselves as the tip of the spear in the sport. And also the people that the everyman wanted to tune in to see and hear from. We were on NBC. We, I didn't have the biggest social media following because I was never super active. But most of the people had a, their blue check mark and were doing things. And we were the only ones that knew the sport. We were the only ones that had spent a significant amount of time trying to figure out how do you do this? How do you optimize the obstacle? I mean, early on, like... Hobie Jung Young Peck and I, and maybe Alec Blennis, were the only people innovating obstacles because everyone else was trying to not walk in between the obstacles. And now you see like these open way videos of people just like launching through it. But at the time, we we're like, we are the best. We know the most. We're doing the, the, the cutting edge stuff. Why are we not the face of it everywhere? And over in it, and it stung for a while. We were used a little bit, but we were just the wrong person almost across the board for it. Because the reach of the shows 
were not huge. They were good, but they weren't great. Like I think at its peak, an NBC live stream was getting like 26,000 views, which is really good, but he has 77,000. Yeah, like the when NBC. When did live, when did. Sorry, not NBC. Yeah, did NBC do some live? Or is that, that was. Uh, you, they did and they missed the mark with it. ESPN did. But yes, they were anyway, post-produced. But you're talking about like the when the series aired on NBC Sports. At its peak live. I'm talking the biggest live events. The peak live, I think, was like 26,000 views live. And I think I could be wrong on that, but. Eric's sitting here with 77,000 followers. You know, so what we were forgetting is that even though we think we're the face of it and we were egotistically hurt by A, being undercompensated for like for that commercial, I got like $600. If that's a Nike commercial, that's like mm-hmm. twenty-five to $75,000 to show up and film that. You know, so we were undercompensated and underutilized. In our eyes, but now coming around to this, it's like you can't be good at all the things. You have to just know what you're good at. And in that commercial, if you watch it, the only thing I was good at was doing the rope climb and the jump in. I was lean, skinny runner. I wasn't bulky. I was bald. I didn't say any lines in front of the camera. So like the only things I was good at was being an athlete and speaking. And all they showed was being an athlete. But they could find plenty of other people to do the athletic thing I did who would look better and had a bigger platform to draw from. So I guess this long rambling thing is that at the time we were all so butthurt about it, but eventually you have to stay in your lane and be good at your lane. And we were trying to get paid for a lane that we thought we deserved and we didn't. Could they have used the athletes more? Of course they could have. But what's 26,000 people watching a race compared to 77,000 people following one person online? I guess of course they would go with Eric course they wouldn't go with me like it it it's not our role so i'm i'm very much okay with it and it makes sense because you have to fill the open waves in order to pay the pros and if less and less people know who the pros are why would you pay the pro to be the pro if you can't get the open wave in in order to pay the pro so i think it's a symbiotic relationship that we were focusing on like the apex predator not realizing that the apex predator can only live if they have prey to eat who also have prey to eat and all the way down all the way down to like the microorganisms we were looking at it in an inverse relationship we were looking at it the wrong way can i say though i i think that you guys could have been and still could be like like be doing what i'm doing right i i like at least from my perspective though like some I, I see on like Twitter, for example, like some of the like the pro mountain runners who are saying like that they get really frustrated that people like me or people or, or others are getting like contracts with companies and getting paid good amounts of money to create content. And like for me, like I got I, I really truly believe I got lucky and got in with Spartan. Right. I happened to make some Spartan style content, but I was very familiar with the races. Like I enjoyed them. I traveled to do them. And they like it was actually like a miscommunication between me and the brand, which ended up leading to them like go, doing a re- going on a rabbit hole down my content and figuring and learning about me. Right. It wasn't like they targeted me or someone said like, mm-hmm. Hey, Eric is great for this. Like it, there was luck involved there. But like one of the things like I've built up a following of 77,000 followers, not because I'm extraordinary at anything, not because I look a certain way, like I'm leaner than the average person, but I like, I'm still like probably only like 15% body fat, like would look terrible next to you two guys shirtless. Like, like it just, like, I'm not a, I'm not like a human specimen that people want to be like, 
but I post consistently and I consistently try and put out really good information and I consistently try and approach it from a perspective of like, well, what is a beginner, like, what does a new runner actually need to hear? Right. Like not, not like what's the best workout you could possibly do. Uh, like, what is like, how do I get beginners to do double threshold running? Like, no, they shouldn't. Right. Like I approach, I meet them where they're at and I put out content that way. And I think mm-hmm. if like a lot of the pro runners took the time to put out mm-hmm. daily content that focused on a market that's often underserved, which is the very beginners, right. Then they would blow up on social media and people, they'd have instant credibility and then brands would come out of the woodworks and say like, Hey, we'll pay you to, to create content for us. And this, but you just, it, it's just not something I think that a lot of pro athletes have wanted to do. At least that's the way that I've seen it. But they don't, I don't think they believe they should have to. And that's Growing fair. up, what yeah. we saw is Allen Iverson was the best point guard in the NBA and he had his own shoe and a Reebok deal. And Kobe Bryant had his own shoe and a Reebok deal. And Tom Brady has Under Armour. And you look nowadays and it's like Steph Curry, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Adidas and Under Armour, and they have Subway. Like if you're great at the thing you do, you are rewarded for that. But what running seems to always forget is being great isn't why those people have those. It's because they are valuable. They are valuable because they're great in a sport that has season ticket holders and big name sponsorships. Running doesn't have either of those things. Even the biggest name sponsorships can't make money off running like they can off triathlon because there's very little gear to buy in running. And so being great, like Danny Moreno, for example, is doing fantastic. She's great. She has a Hoka sponsorship now. But who is buying Hoka because of Danny? Like who's drinking what she's drinking? I don't know thousand people maybe if we're lucky we just being great's not enough but we were raised in a culture that told you in our eyes if you're good enough and fast enough you will receive all these rewards for it and so they don't think they need to and I'll, I'll include me in there i never thought i needed to become a social media savant because i'm working so hard on my craft and i'm good at it and now i want my rewards for it and so, yeah, could they easily step outside and become that? Sure. But like in a job interview saying, here's what I could do if I actually wanted to, is not going to land you the job. It's the people currently doing it that are going to make you money in the company. That's fair. That's my take on it. I just think we're appropriately entitled. Like It makes sense logically, but it doesn't make sense financially. It reminds me of like, I was solicited to be a co-host on the CW network here in town after some of my TV days. And there were like 200 plus of us that showed up for this audition, right? And then I found out what the pay was and it was $17 an hour. To be on TV in a market 19, they call it $17 an hour. Well, the most talented person in the Minneapolis is not going to be interested in that job. Allen Iverson, let's say, because it pays pennies. But schmucks like me, who weren't as talented as the Allen Iverson of the sport, showed up in droves to get paid $17 an hour to be on TV. And what it comes down to at this point is, like, there's lots of schmucks like me. And I'm not calling you a schmuck by any means, Eric. But you don't need to be Allen Iverson to get the job now, right? You need to be providing a service and and being willing to, I don't know, work for what you're receiving versus, like, I don't know, the half a million TV job just falling in your lap because you're amazing. Like that's not how this all works. And I don't know if that's a good parallel or not, but it felt like 
something I sort of experienced. So I had a follow up to this. What was this? Oh, um, well, the so the question is like you have all these people out here who've given it up. You have all these people who realized they were working for pennies and it wasn't worth it. And then you have like some people who are like still in the game, so to speak. Like, w- like, is it worth it? First of all, like, is it worth it? Because he says, Bracken says, I don't want to be making content. Like, I want to be an athlete. I want to focus on my training and my task at hands and the gifts will be bestowed upon me. So like, is it worth it? How many hours per week do you have to put into this stuff? If you want to be honest, real with it. And does the best athlete in the room, can they sacrifice their time and resources to do what you do? Like, that's those are the questions I have after what you you guys have just been talking about i think to build a following it's not as hard as people think it is like honestly for i I mean i was working a full-time job right and doing this on the side and i've got three kids right like i was i was finding ways to do it and the way that i would do it personally is like i would just record on the go like if i was in the gym i'm on i'm on a rest set i'll record a video right i had a meeting the meeting ended five minutes early i'll record a video and my and this is where like my content is is very like not edited it's not souped up half the time it's just me talking to the camera and i've built credibility to this point where people trust my opinion so if they ask me a question about running i can just talk to the camera and explain and some people will watch that blows my mind but they do right um but like a lot of my filming i just do while i'm running if i'm on an easy run if i'm on a cool down something like that i'll record and talk to the camera really quickly so it's like i'm not losing any time right i'm doing it's all i'm batching activities together and then yeah like sometimes some minor editing takes some time and and things like that but to build the following itself like i'm not even kidding less than an hour a day you just have to be consistent right less than an hour a day you gotta you gotta remember to post a couple of times a day when you're first starting out and it'll and you know you kind of just get that flywheel going and once you got it going like it'll catch eventually right you'll have something that will catch and then you get better at it you get better at the content you get faster at making it right you find out what people are interested in nowadays 90% or more of my content are just responses to comments right i don't have to think of ideas anymore people ask me questions i save the questions for later and i make a video response to the questions and that strengthens the community that i built that strengthens the engagement people feel valued because i respond to comments right and i respond to as many as i possibly can within reason um so that's like like honestly an hour a day if you just kind of put yourself out there like you can create content and there's a kid here um he just graduated from i believe he just graduated from byu adam wood and he's trying to qualify for the uh he's trying to qual- get an olympic trials qualifier um phenomenal runner and and um he's you know he's up to like forty thousand followers in probably a couple of months because he's just been posting every single day and again he has he has the credibility right off the bat because he's a phenomenal runner now does he know actually how he got there and does he know the ins and outs of running maybe maybe not but people will follow him as a traditional influencer because of who he is and then you know like if you put in the work and you learn and you make good content then it grows so to just build an audience like an hour a day honestly like you could you could make it happen and if you want to go the traditional influencer route and if you can grow really really big and you're like an attractive person so people will just flock to you for that then like you can be it get a bunch of brand deals that's not me like not many people are like i want to be a 31 year old father of three um in in utah like that's not like the the goal so like people follow me for the information and because of that i haven't blown up like a lot of other people right and that's why i don't do a lot of like brand deals myself 
Um, but the, the, the barrier to entry is almost non-existent and it's very, very small. Now, when it comes to creating content for like others, like I, I work full days now, I got laid off right a couple of months ago and I've been doing this full time. Well, I also coach. So I have just under, I think 20 athletes that I coach. Most of them are, are like really almost brand new to running. So I have that. So designing their training plans, looking at their data and, you know, having those conversations, that's part of my day. I also have I'm starting YouTube content, doing kind of like the Seth James Damore style stuff, trying to do like the shoe reviews. I love running shoes. I've got about 40 pairs and I get seated some pairs now through the running store I work with. So then I can review more as they release and whatnot. So that takes time. Like that editing is a lot more robust. I'm still learning that. Um, I mean, Bracken, you probably know from editing the podcast, like it can be like, it can just take some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then like actually going and physically filming. So I go and physically film at the running store and film their videos and do stuff like that for them. And I've also taken on, there is an aspect we haven't talked about, but because I've been able to grow their, their social platform and they saw like how much I love running shoes, they've actually started to use me in other ways in the store. So I'm actually consulting on their actual like customer experience and like when customers come in, what should that look like as well as like their lineup of shoes that they're going to be bringing in. Um, and then their website content. I'm been, I've been helping with that. So I work a full day, but I won't, I wouldn't say I'm not like ignorant to say like my job is hard. My job is fun. Um, and I'm making enough to scrape by right now, uh, based off of the fact that I was a director at a tech company before this. Right. But if I was a single guy, I like I'd be completely comfortable and fine right now. I'm thinking like uh, of like the the one post I have to make a month <laughs> for my <laughs> partnership, <laughs> and I love Usana and I use their products and they treat me well and I treat them well and it is just like I see the 31st of the month coming around and it's like the sand is falling out of the hourglass and it's like this impending doom. And I'm like, Oh my God, I gotta, like, if you look at my account, I post on like the 29, 30 or 31st of every month, because for some reason it's just so arduous to do it. I think it takes a special person not to feel that way. Bracken, you certainly must feel that way with like putting things out there. I don't know how you do it. I think one of the incongruencies with athletes is that uh, there was this, I believe I heard, there's variations of this quote that go around, but I believe I heard it from a coder, a high-level coder, and I don't remember his name, but he's basically saying that sometimes he has companies balk at the idea that they have to pay him $20,000 to solve a problem that takes him 30 seconds to solve. And his, his, his response was, you're not paying me for my 30 seconds of work, you're paying me for my 10,000 hours of work that got me to the point where I can solve your problem in 30 seconds. And as athletes, I think we bring that attitude to the table. Like you're not paying for me, paying me for what I'm doing right now. You're paying me because I've trained so hard to get to this point physically, and I deserve this reward for that, but that's incongruent. You're, you're not providing the value on that. And if you can't identify what value they're getting other than the work you've put in, your value lists in that in that channel despite the fact that you have value as something else as a runner and so i think i mean it comes back to your right which is almost anyone could if they wanted to but are they willing to swallow their ego and say even though i've put in a hundred thousand miles in the last 10 years of running i still have to put in the same amount of work 
on these videos and the content that someone who's put in no miles would have to do. Like that, that sense of entitlement can't get in your way. Mm. And it certainly gets in our way. I track with that. I track with that. And if you're a Courtney DeWalter in the ultra running scene, like wearing your Solomons is enough and people having enough eyes knowing you've won, you don't need to say anything because you win the biggest races and you have hundred thousands of eyes on you. And it's a different game completely. And unless you are the tip of the iceberg, the very tip of the iceberg, mm-hmm. I, I think there's no other way around it at this day and age other than to create for companies to be truly to make it in quotes in endurance athletics it's like if you're not the one the 0.001% like Eric's way is the only way is how I'm understanding it and does Courtney DeWalter wear Solomons? I sure hope she does. Otherwise, she does. that marketing hasn't worked on she me. She does. Okay, then see, it's worked. That's in my subconscious. Well, and then that point oh oh one. the other thing that they have, which does confuse us, saying she's not posting anything groundbreaking. It's just her running. There are people taking pictures and videos of her running. She has, right. and maybe not her all the time, but wherever she goes at a race, she receives high-quality footage of the whole process because there are people surrounding her with cameras. And if you don't have that mm-hmm. and you're just posting a picture of yourself running on the treadmill or a video, like it doesn't track the same. No matter how fast you're running, it's not as cool. You're not getting the full the full spectrum of it. So you have to do it Eric's way. Well even even then like I like my Instagram does terrible. My no one no one follows me on Instagram really. No one likes the pictures that I post on Instagram because it's again it's not about me. Like, it's not at all about who I am. It's it's about the information that I can put out or the information that I can share that can hopefully help people, right? Um, so that, I, I, I think, like, that's where I don't approach brands. I Like, I don't approach brands and say, pay me, sponsor me. Like, when I approach brands nowadays, I say, this is what I'm willing to do for you. Like, this is what I, how I think I can help you. Um, and that maybe that's my sales background. I worked, I, you know, I worked in tech sales. And so that maybe that's like, you know, I'm used to cold calling. I'm used to cold emailing. And, and so this, that skill is just somehow strangely translated over to social media, but that, uh, that's how I approach brands nowadays and try and get my foot in the door. It's, it's, Hey, I can do X number of posts per month for you. This is the result that some other companies have seen for me doing that for them. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and you're, you've approached these companies. It's not like you sit there and wait for like the DM gods to slide in and be like, Hey, it's Solomon. Can we work with you? Like it doesn't work that way. Like you have to go out and get what you believe is yours and show value by doing it these days. That's how I got most of my sponsorships is, is trying to get a hold of somebody because I like their products and I believe that we'd be a good fit for one another. Um, Let's trim the fat here, okay? I like to do this to some of our uh, subject experts. Uh, if there's people out there, I'm sure a handful of people listening are the type who are the ambassadors. I'm sure we have dozens that are listening that are ambassadors for some brands, right? They're really wheel spinning. If they like the product they're getting for free or they're 10% kickback, like, great. If you think the juice is worth the squeeze, more power to you. It's never been worth it for me, so I don't do it. Um But for those who are like, okay, this is possible for the everyday man or woman, and I got maybe a little time that I want to invest, like what are your top five tips? Like what do people need to do? Just break it down for us. Like if somebody wants to make running part of their day-to-day life and maybe make money doing it while enjoying something they love, like what do you – give me walk me through like the, the hot tips. Break it down. I mean, the number one thing is it honestly is just consistency. And that's what I pitch to every brand I reach out to. It's, it's like, 
like a brand like Jonji has like, you know, run Jonji, phenomenal running gear. They have like 300 followers on TikTok. How does a brand like that only have 300 followers on TikTok, right? And it's because they rarely post, if ever, right? So number one is just consistency. Like when you first start posting, like you've got to post like three to five times a day. And that, that like that's, I'm not even exaggerating, like three to five Sounds times horrible. a day. You get yeah. like one like, you just keep rolling. You like your mom's the only one who like enjoys your, and people are like, you're stupid. That video sucks. You just keep shoving it down their throat. You just keep going. Yeah. Three to like, honestly, at least on TikTok, Instagram, I don't know, but on TikTok, like three to five times a day. And it doesn't have to be great content. Like you just got to have to put yourself out there. And part of what that is, it's like, it's like running every day. Like, Hey, you become more mechanically efficient because your body's like, Oh, this is what we do. Right. It's building the muscle memory. You start to improve your form slightly. Right. It's the same thing. Like you're going to realize, Oh, I can record this video a little bit better here. I can do this or like, Hey, the lighting sucks in this one or the sound sucks. I'm going to adjust it. Right. So that's really easy, like three to five times a day um, just to start. Um, the next thing I would say is like start to understand like who you're posting for, like what, like who's your target audience. You can't appeal to everybody unless you like, unless you are someone like, I don't know, the Kardashians who I don't know why they appeal to anybody, but they, they appeal to a lot of people. Um, but unless people are going to follow you just because there's a lot of, what, of idiots in this world, <laughs> Eric, Yeah, I mean, those people. Um, unless people are following you because of you and what you look like and what you do and what your lifestyle, then like you've got to provide some value. So, you know, understand like, who are you talking to? Like market, like companies do this all the time, find their target audience. They do, you know, a different, different analyses to decide who it is. Um, like understand who you're talking to. It may not even be just runners in general, right? Runners are a big category. Maybe you just want to talk to beginning runners, Right. When I first started, I was talking primarily primarily to overweight runners because that's who I was when I first started. Right. And then you get traction and you can expand from there. But picking something and kind of sticking to it um, and then just trust the process. <laughs> Honestly, like it took like I have I have grown more in the last six months on social media than I did like the year and a half prior. Right. And it's it's just because I feel like I, I was the one who outlasted everyone else. I stuck it out when everyone else was, you know, posting for three months and then they gave up on it because they didn't see any results. Like I kept doing it. I don't know why. I just, I just did. I just kept doing it. And, and now it's like completely natural for me and it's stuck. And now I don't have to post like three to five times a day, right? Now I can post maybe once a day or twice a day or every other day. And I still get similar, if not better engagement because I've built kind of a brand for myself. Right. So it's, you know, and then, and then, I guess the last thing I'll say is like, don't, don't sell, don't sell out. Um, and I know it's easy to say, like someone could knock on my door tomorrow and be like, Hey, we'll give you a million dollars to rep our brand. And that would obviously test that. But like, like I, I do get some DMS. I've had people reach out to me. Um, I've had companies like offer like, Hey, do this post and we'll give you free stuff, but we won't pay you or, or like, you know, there's a, there's plenty of opportunities for supplement brands, especially who will reach out to you and say like, Hey, like we're launching a new protein or like, Hey, check this new supplement out. Like, will you get, will you post about it and swear by it? And, um, I signed with Endurally pretty early on because I use their products. I trust their products. I trust them as a company. And so I've said no to a lot of people because of that. And maybe I could have made more money, but it would have been a sac- like I would have sacrificed my own morals in that. So that those are kind of the biggest things I would say. It's 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 really not rocket science. It's it's consistency and and you know don't try and be an influencer. Try and be an educator. Kind of like you said, Bracken. Like 
you know, provide a value. Don't like, we all think we're very important, but I learned pretty early on, I'm not as important as I often think. So I just try and be myself and, and share good information. I'm sure this will miss, I don't know, 85% of our audience. And then there'll be a handful who like, it's just, it's not the, it's not the pro athletes that make their living doing this when you're in tertiary sports like running or like i don't know anything else you want to think of ballet dancing pickleball even though that's rising whatever the heck it is it's like there's opportunity out there i think is is all i was hoping to get across like if somebody want is passionate about a sport you you don't have to be the best anymore you used to that was the only way you put on your air jordans and you get on a commercial uh, as Michael Jordan and you make your millions and there's like, that's the way to it. And now it's just like, doesn't seem like it's the way to it. That's all. I'm just like, there's a realization for me that like things are ripe for the taking for people if they want to meet it halfway and they, they, they care about, care about enhancing the community. And so I, I was hoping to get that out of today's conversation at minimum. I think, think up to this point, we've done that. I'm curious if you have anything, any questions or anything you want to look like ways you want to look at this bracket that i haven't asked about are you satisfied so to speak i think anything i asked at this point would just be inherently selfish seeing as we are looking to try to expand our own role like in terms of the Mm -hmm. the the general listener i think this is i think it's beneficial to hear from someone doing the thing that maybe has a negative connotation and is doing it in a way that's not negative Mm -hmm. and i think like going out and Going out and approaching versus waiting for an opportunity to come to you, like that doesn't exist anymore either because people are knocking on everybody's door. Like they don't need to go to you anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's changed that way. It's just like my feed is constantly like somebody I don't know, somebody who doesn't seem accomplished as an athlete, so to speak, from like common standards or world standards or national standards, like telling me to do something or this is product or that thing. It's like, I don't. Just because you're some fit girl with a tight butt in the gym, like you, you now I trust you that this is the best protein drink. But apparently, that's like maybe how it works. I don't know. Maybe I get different stuff shoved at me than you guys. I don't know. Algorithms are weird. You know, we talked a lot about making sure the juice is worth the squeeze. I think it's very apparent when the juice is the squeeze to an influencer, to someone online, where it is the act of being seen and known that is their reason for doing it. And anyone who that doesn't jump off the page to me that that's their thing, I'm willing to watch their video. But if it's when when right away you see you're you're making this for you, not for us. That's always very apparent. One I I like one of the things I'll say too is like I mean I've got like I don't I really do. It's like the content's not about me, the content's about trying to put out good running advice and trying to help people like along their journey. Like I don't have a ton of books cause I do a lot of audio books, but like right here I've got, you know, like Daniel's running formulas right here over here. We've got better distance training for runners, training for the uphill athlete, right? We've got endurance sports, nutrition, strength, training, anatomy, racing weight, science of running, right? Like I love running. Like, and so when I speak about running and when I speak about topics, like you know, like the big one is easy running like that. Like I talk a lot about easy running because that's the question everyone has. It's like, oh, should I be in zone two or should I not? Like, how do you find zone two? All that. I've made a million videos on zone two running. Right. But the way that I approach it is really like, well, let's talk about what it actually means. Let's talk about why it might be beneficial or not for you. Right. And like I try and operate in the gray a lot 
um, which I feel like is kind of uncommon for influencers, right? Like influencers, like to your point, Bracken, like their video is here's the best workout to cut 10 minutes off your, your 5k time. Right. And like, I, like, I may have said something like that in a video before, but it's usually followed up by there isn't one, right? Like that's like, like (laughs) use that to get the attention. It's like, there's not one, but here are a couple of principles that you can apply to hopefully improve your running. Like, Hey, overspeed training paired with threshold running is a really good thing to do. Or, you know, like, like, and, and I think like, I see myself as a student of running. I see myself as a student of you guys, right? I listen to the podcast almost every episode, right? I, you know, I, I love listening to Steve Magnus and reading his books. Matt Fitzgerald is super, real, like, super good at breaking it down and making it simple. And so all I see myself as is a funnel for all of this amazing information and how do we bring that down and simplify it in a way that the newest runner can understand that and find ways to apply that and become a better runner. But that's not what... I don't feel like that's what influencers do. And I think that's the difference and that's the key. And, and maybe that's why I've built up a following is because it's not about me, right? It's about the information that I can provide to an audience that is often neglected. Yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah, that's probably the best, uh, best takeaway, I would say, from this uh, conversation. I um, I don't know how to really wrap this thing up because I feel like there could be like specific questions about it, but I don't think that's our... Oh, you have something you want to say, I see, Bracken. No, I, I thought you were just going to say, oh, so I'm going to use my normal line. Where can we find you online? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> that seems I, succinct for So Eric. if there's any you – no, know, and so it's just like, yeah, if, if there's anything I haven't asked you that anybody should know, otherwise um, we'll wrap this thing up. That's what I was getting at. And then I can ask the social media question, Bracken, if that makes you feel good. Uh, anything anyone wants – yeah, I mean, I would just say like – I like Bracken, like your mindset of operating in the dark. And I know like you've, you've veered from that a little bit due to the podcast and things like that as well. And oftentimes in my workouts, I go, you know, that's the place I go to get it done. I don't film on speed workouts. If I'm ever filming, it's only on an easy workout. Right. Um, but, uh, what I, what I would say is social media allowed me to become the person I am today because I, in a lot of ways, faked it till I made it right. And I'm still not there, but Everyone around me when I was overweight, they looked at me as, hey, that guy is like overweight, unathletic, unable to do it. But when I started posting on social media, I got to see myself as something more and see what I could become. And that and being able to look back on the videos that I took five years ago and the pictures that I have from races and different things five years ago and then look at where I'm at today. Um, it's really, really cool. And if, if not for the people who eventually started to follow me, cheer me on and become part of that on social media, I don't know that I would have made it as far as I have and would be able to kind of keep pushing and doing this. So while yes, I do it, like my athletic endeavors are for me, but there is an aspect of accountability and community that I found through social media that I didn't think was going to be there before. And that's been really cool. So worth it, even if it's not for the cash money, Eric, is that what you're telling me? At this point, I would say yes. I have, I like, I've made some friends. I've made a lot of progress and I've been able to do some really, really cool things, um, because of what social media has provided me. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'm not doing it unless there's cash money. That's right. I do it for the gram. Do it for the gram. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Put that on my tombstone. Um, all right. Uh-huh. Where could people, where could people check you out? I don't have a TikTok. Or nor really understand it, so I'm not. You know, this isn't really my realm. I speak like maybe I know what I'm talking about, but I don't. Uh, where can people follow along and all that stuff, Eric? 
Yeah, uh, TikTok and Instagram. Uh, my handle is raddadbodtv. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Uh, have just started up a YouTube, same thing, raddadbodtv, and it's mainly just going to be shoe reviews. So if you like shoe reviews, if you like shoes, that's where uh, where you can find me. That's me. I thought there'd be a twinge of twinge of envy out of Bracken for that. Maybe there's a partnership brewing. All right, well, Bracken go check go check Eric out. And also... It's not about numbers. Uh-huh. It's about quality. All right, and you got to watch out for Eric. He's getting fast, so if you're out there racing, watch out. Maybe he'll be known for his wheels soon enough. But um, I think that's all we got for you today, so I appreciate your time, man. It's good, to, it's good we could catch up in this way, and I'll probably see you in our next, you know, athlete call in two weeks. But I think until next time, guys. I'll see you, boys. Thanks, Eric. Sounds good. Thanks, guys.